We are delighted to have a young brother, young chronologically, but he's old in wisdom, in knowledge, and understanding of how we ought to apply our faith as applied theologians in every way in our communities. His vita is very well defined on page four of our bulletin. He has had great experience in applying psychology to spirituality, something that we all need to do more of. In addition to that, he has witnessed two young people and developed many youth ministries for the engagement of young people while they are young. And we will be delighted and welcoming to this sacred desk, I repeat, Rabbi Ryan Bauer, who will deliver the message on this fateful day. I want to begin by thanking Reverend Dr. Amos Brown and the entire Third Baptist Church. And I cannot tell you how blessed we feel every single year as this community opens up their doors and their hearts to us. Thank you. Now there was a question that I wanted to ask today. And it's a simple question. What are we doing here? We have been coming together for nearly a quarter century on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday to do what? What are we doing here? What are we doing together? We come together on this weekend to celebrate the life that he lived because it was an incredible life. It was an incredible life that changed the world. When I was in First grade, I told my mama, and she was my mama because she's from Texas. <laughs> I told my mama that when I grew up, I wanted to be Martin Luther King. And when she asked why, I told her it was because he had changed the world. When we come together as congregations and as a nation on the third weekend in January, what are we doing? Are we worshiping the man, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? No. We're not worshiping him. That's not what he stood for. We don't worship people. We come together in this house of God not to worship the man, but to worship what that man taught us. Yes, sir. How this man reminded us what God looks like in this world when we let God in. All right. Dr. King, he lived and he fought in a time and in a place where God was pushed out with the weapons of bigotry, hate, and inequality. Dr. King, he taught us to fight back and to bring God back into the world, into a world of love and equality. We don't come here to worship Dr. King. 
We come here to worship what our teacher taught us. And for us as individuals and as a community to take account where we are and if we have lived up to the dream that Dr. King had. Because he had a dream. And we cannot come here in good conscience, celebrating and hugging without making sure that we are on the right track. Because he had a dream. Dr. King, he stood on the foot of the Abraham Lincoln Memorial 48 years ago. And he stood on those steps and he began his speech. And in the third paragraph of his speech, he reminded the crowd that it had been five score years since emancipation. And blacks were still not free. And he said, and I quote, 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languishing in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. It has now been 148 years. And I stand here today and I have to ask, what has happened to that island? What has happened to that island of poverty? What has happened to that island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity? Now has that island, has it gotten bigger? Have people, have they escaped this island? Has the wealth and the prosperity that these United States of America seen in the past 48 years flooded this parched island? Has the flood of wealth raised sea levels and obliterated this island of poverty? If we come here today to celebrate our teacher, we have to ask, what has happened? to this island, and have we realized his dream? And I have news, news that you're not going to be surprised by, but the island is still there. And even though wealth has increased in this country, it has not flooded the island, because the island has grown too quickly. The wealth in this country has grown, and it continues to grow. But not for all, just for a few. That's right. Mm. Simon Johnson, a professor at MIT Sloan School of Management, he's the former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund. And he points out that even though economists are now seeing a strong recovery, that we need to begin to understand the economy as a two-tracked economy. One bouncing back in a relatively healthy fashion, and the other struggling. Johnson writes, and I quote, The United States has, over the past two decades, started to take on characteristics more traditionally associated with Latin America. Extreme income inequality, rising poverty levels, 
and worsening health conditions for many. In this last decade alone, it has been even more extreme. According to an analysis of newly released IRS data by economist Thomas Pickney and Emmanuel Saiz, two-thirds of the total income gains from 2002 to 2007 flowed to the top 1%. Say that. And that top 1% held a larger share of income in 2007 than at any time since 1928. Now during those years, the inflation-adjusted income in the top 1% of households grew more than 10 times faster than the income of the bottom 90% of households. We have a problem. And many analysts do not see things getting any better. David Leonhardt, a writer in the New York Times, he notes that few economists expect the country to return to a relatively flat income distribution we saw in the 1950s and in the 1960s. But rather that inequality is likely to remain significantly greater than it was for most of the 20th century. So what happened to this island? The population of this island of poverty has swelled. With many more Americans coming on to its hard shores. And I fear, I fear that the island will continue to grow. What does it mean for us? What does it mean to live in a two-tracked country? What does it mean for our kids? What does it mean for our dream? Now, a dream, a dream, it's a beautiful thing. It's how we envision the world, how we, how we want it to be. A dream is about abandoning the present and envisioning the future. Our dreams, they sit in this room. Our dreams are our hopes, our future. And they're encapsulated in our children. And we have a problem. So what are we supposed to do? We have to focus on our most effective tool to end this cycle. Education. Eric Hanushek, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, has shown that a teacher in the 65th percentile versus the average teacher enables students to generate over $400,000 more in future earnings. Our greatest tool to realize the dream is to nurture and to guide young minds in our classrooms. Our founding fathers of this great nation, they realized that we could not be an equal society or have a viable democracy if we did not have a society where everyone had the same equal opportunity to education. But we are not living up to this ideal. 
In this city, in our city, our education system continues to become more and more of a two-tracked education system. A private school track and a public school track. And we all know that when we segregate schools and we keep students separate, they are never equal. Because there is no such thing as separate but equal. When we stand idly by as our children are segregated in this city, we have a problem. Hanu Shek, he also points out that if the bottom 5 to 8% of teachers were replaced, the United States would move near the top of international math and science rankings, where today, right now, we rank 9th in math and 11th in science. And such an improvement in our classrooms is estimated to be worth $100 trillion to our economy. Raising the tide and shrinking the island. It is only through spurring curiosity and inspiration in the classroom that children will discover that a human soul or cognitive capacity is not measured by one's bank account, but is measured by the spark of the divine in each of them. Our city and our schools continue to be segregated. The San Francisco chapter of the NAACP settled their 1978 desegregation lawsuit in 1983 with the consent decree. And today, 27 years later, our schools are not only segregated financially, but they are segregated more racially. than they were when the consent decree was instituted. Now it can feel hopeless. We've passed laws, and we didn't reach the dream. We passed decrees, and that island, it just grew bigger. Why do we talk about this? Why do I care? Why is this an issue for the 1% and the 99%? Because in Dr. King's words, we have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. We are on the same boat. And if we are not careful, that boat will only carry people to the island as that island grows. We know what our dream is. But the only ones who are going to get us there is you. Every single person sitting in this room. Now we can conjecture and we can complain about our current state. Or we can stand up and in the words of Reverend Renard Allen Jr., we can go against the flow. We can go against the flow by standing up and organizing as a community. 
go against the flow by organizing to ensure that not just our children, but all of our children yes, yes, yes. are able to actualize the dream. Yes. So today, when we come here together, to remember what our teacher taught us, and we reflect upon his teaching, we have to honestly ask ourselves, have we reached that dream? Have we reached it? No. Have we reached it? No. But are we going to? Are we going to? We have a dream and we know what it is. We have to stand up. We have to show up. We have to strengthen our classrooms. And we cannot stop until we have destroyed that island. We cannot stop until we have let God back into the world. We cannot stop until there is educational equality for all. And if we work together, and if we organize together to change the trajectory of our educational system, then we will become powerful enough to sink that island. And as that island of inequality sinks into the flowing waters of equality, then, and only then, when we hold hands and sing, free at last, free at last, then God Almighty will free at last.